Amen. We kick off a new series called Things I Wish You Knew About God, and I'm excited about this because, man, as a pastor, uh, my job, as you know, uh, is to come up with sermons. And so we put them in series, and we try to talk about things in different ways, but there's some things that I wish, as a pastor, uh, you could just grab people, and, and don't judge me for this, you could just grab people and shake them and just say, I just wish that you knew, Right? And, uh, and we do it with our kids, you know, it's like, oh, kids, you know, maybe our little kids or somebody, is if you just grab somebody and be like, I just wish that you would get it, right? And so I kind of want to do that over the next couple of weeks, just be like, hey, as your pastor, as somebody, you know, who, who, who sees uh, ministry and sees people in the kingdom of God and sees people interacting in their communities, this is me going like, man, I just really wish that you knew this. Okay, and so the next couple of weeks, we're going to do that. We're going to look at it, and we're going to be like, okay, these are the things that I really wish you knew, because unfortunately, uh, and when you look at culture, there are so many people that, as we just kind of listen, have ideas or interpretations or things that they think God is, and it's so far from who he really is. Amen? Maybe you were somebody who, before you became a Christian or a Christ follower, uh, you had an opinion of God. And then when you got saved and you started to experience God in your life, you're like, whoa, this is totally different than the way that I thought. And this is kind of what we're trying to say. I just wish that people could get this. Maybe you grew up in a religious uh, atmosphere, more of a denominational thing. And uh, once maybe you got out of that and you experienced God in a different way, you're like, man, I wish people would know this about God who's with me. And so if there was one thing that I could really just grab somebody and shake them, it would be this. It would be, I wish that you would know that God is so for you. He's so for you. Uh, religion and culture and things, uh, people have just made God to be this angry, lightning bolt, throwing, rule-keeping God. And God is a God that one day will judge us. And we have to stand before him and say, hey, this is what I've done with my life. Uh, and it wasn't important that, uh, you know, we did this and we had this kind of car and this kind of thing. That's not what essentially matters. God's going to say, what did you do with the one life that I gave you? How did you impact my kingdom for it? And uh, that's a nice neighborhood, that's a nice, all those things, but at the end of the day, they don't matter. God's going to say, hey, what have you done? So we do have a God who at some point in our life, uh, you know, we face judgment. Uh, but God right now, if you open scripture, we start in Genesis in the garden, you start anywhere, you see that he's this God who's like, hey, I'm God who is for you. I desire you. I want to be with you. I want to be connected with you. I want to be alongside you. I want to help you. Amen. And then when it went awry in the garden, God's like, I want to be for you. I want to be with you. I want to be alongside you. And so then he sent his son to redeem us. And then the blood covered so that God could then again be somebody who's for, amen. And the scripture says this, it says that uh, if God is for us, who can be against us? So if I could grab somebody and shake them, I would be like, listen, all these mistakes we fall into, all these shortcomings, all of these things. Why do we let ourselves do that? Because if God is for you, who can be against you? He, he's not angry, lightning bolt throwing. He's a God who's like, let's go win. When we follow the laws and principles of God, we do so much winning, we get sick of winning. Amen? And, and, and that's just how God is. He wants to continue. Literally, the scripture even says, even in our giving, when we follow the laws and principles of God, that he's going to bless you in such a way that you can't contain it. Because why? Because God is so for you. He wants to see you successful. He's always raised up people groups who he puts his success on. You see Abraham, who's the wealthiest of all of us. God is always putting success and prosperity in provision on his people. Amen? That's his desire is to see us win. And the problem is 
what happens is God has set up laws and principles. He says, this is the way that you do things. And we as humans, we get our own ideas about how we should do things. And we start doing our things our way. And then essentially we crash the car and we get mad at God. So you get in your car, let's say, this is just an example, and you say, okay, God, let's go. Be with me. Be for me. And you're just sitting in that car mashing on the brake, getting so mad about why the car's not moving. Well, God set up a law and principle that says you got to step on the gas pedal. But, but are you with me? <laughs> but in our own ways, we're just mashing on that. We're doing it our own way. We're mashing on that brake, trying to go. But God's saying, no, if you just do these things this way, I'm so for you that I've made a gas pedal for you, and you can go, and you can win. Amen. God is so for you, and I wish we could see that every day. I wish we could wake up and go, man, today is going to be incredible. Why? Because God is looking for me to win today because he's so for me. The scripture even says that up in heaven, we have a heavenly cloud of witnesses who are cheering us on. All that have gone before us, the great men of faith are up there going like, hey, not only is God for me, but I'm for you. I'm for you to win in your schools. I'm for you to win in your communities. I'm for you to win. But so many times we step out of bed and we think, here's another day, here's another. And we, and we almost just put God aside in this idea of how we should live because God is he's so for us. Kingdom living God is so for us. And so Matthew, uh, and I go back to the scripture I shared in, um, in our tithing portion, Proverbs 16.3, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. God's desire is to come alongside you and make your plans successful, Amen. Are you with me? <laughs> Matthew chapter 13, verse 45. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant sinking beautiful pearls. Verse 46. He who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The kingdom of God is like a priceless thing. It's the most valuable thing. It's actually the thing on the inside of you that you even subconsciously desire. It's the thing you're always in pursuit of. A lot of people who don't know God fill that void in their heart with other things, but really they're seeking the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? It's the ways of God here on earth. It's the laws and principles that God set up for us to live, Christian living here. It's the kingdom of God here on earth. It's your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. It's the way God designed us to live here on earth. That's the kingdom. And it's the most beautiful thing. And when you find it, you give everything for it. Amen. How many of you found the kingdom of God in your life and in your mind and in your heart? You said, I'm giving everything for this. I'm committing all my ways to this because this is the most beautiful thing. Amen. Why? Because we're people of tremendous destiny. You are so much greater than what you can even think. You're kingdom living. And the trouble is there are some people that if I could get them and shake them, they want as much of the world as they can have. And they want as much as the kingdom of God as they can have. Oh, we love God and we're for God, but I also don't want to give up these things over here. It's like, no, you don't understand over here. This is the most beautiful thing. And you're wasting space in your life with the things of the world that is garbage and unfulfilling. Be like this merchant who's like, it's so beautiful. I'm going to take all that I have and I'm going to go in pursuit and I'm going to give everything to the kingdom. I'm not talking about you got to go sell all your cars and sell all your houses. And Amen. I'm talking about in your mindset, you wake up and I say, I'm giving everything to the kingdom. Every way that I think and filter and process, everything that I do is toward the kingdom of God. Amen. So that's what he said is I put everything here. If we've ever truly saw our purpose or our potential in God, the things of the world become unattractive to us. How many of you have ever got a glimpse of what God wants to do in your life or what God wants to do with you? And then all of a sudden you go, you know what, all of this or that, it just doesn't matter because I want that one thing, that beautiful thing, that pearl thing that is the kingdom of God in my life. Amen. And so it's important for us to have a vision 
or an idea or a picture of this kingdom of God? What does it look like in your life? And if I were to sit down with all of you and say, literally today, hey, tell me what the kingdom of God looks like in your life, in your finances, in your family, in your kids. What's the kingdom look like in your life? Do you have a vision about that? Do you have a plan? Do you have a mental picture of the future of what the kingdom of God looks like in your life? Well, we need to because God is for you and he wants to come alongside you and help you accomplish that. Amen. God always works in vision. We're going to talk about it here in a minute. God gives you vision, not so that you can plan, but so that it makes you unsatisfied with where you are. God says, hey, I want to do something so great in you and I'm so for you. And you get that revelation and he puts that on you and I'm so for you that over here you're so unsatisfied with the things that don't really matter that you put all your emphasis and energy on staying over here in the kingdom, the beautiful, the pearl thing, amen? Because God is for us and he wants to help us win, amen? Anything short or unrelated to your destiny should make you look, un, should make, should look unsatisfied, make you feel unsatisfied or look unattractive to you. Anything short of that vision that you have in your life how you want to raise your kids, how you want to live in your community, anything short of that picture that God has placed in your heart of kingdom living, anything short of that should be very unattractive and dissatisfying to you. It's pretty easy to make a decision about who you're going to hang out with or how you're going to be involved in this or how you're going to be involved in that because if it doesn't line up with the kingdom, then it should look unattractive and dissatisfying to you. Amen? Who's with me? Uh, we're not going to go that way because that doesn't line up with this and this is the beautiful thing and this is what matters to me. Amen? You heard me say last week in Lamentations 1.9, it said her uncleanness is in her skirt. She did not consider her destiny. Therefore, her collapse was awesome. And it said this, her collapse was awesome because she wasn't considering her future. Sin entered her life and caused her to collapse. Why? Not because just sin rolled up. It's just because she didn't consider her future. She didn't have a vision for her life. She considered not what God wanted to do in her life. Therefore, sin came into her life. Therefore, sin won. What am I saying? Because she didn't have an understanding and a revelation of this over here, kingdom, sin won. Are you with me? So many times in our life, if we don't have a vision, if we don't have a strategy, if we don't have a plan for our life of what God wants to do, that's how sin creeps in. You get bored. You get you know, grouchy, you get stuck, you feel discontent. But if you're pursuing the kingdom over here because it's the most beautiful thing, this is unattracted to you, amen? And so what I want you to hear is like, pursue this and do it because God is with you and he's for you and he wants to win with you, amen? We sin because we fail to spend time considering our destiny. Proverbs 29, 18 talks about this. It says, where there is no vision, people perish. Or one translation says, where you have no vision, you cease to exist. Or where you have no vision, you become unsuccessful. You, you perish. You cease to exist. You become unsuccessful. Why? Because all of our success is hinged on keeping our eyes on what God wants to do in his kingdom, in his way, and then running with him because he's with us. When we don't have a vision, when we don't have a plan, when we don't have something we're looking to, then we perish. Amen? You have not, that's why the scripture says you have not because you ask not. You could say it like this, asking is commanding your vision into existence. Why is so God serious about us asking and going to him and, and say, God, I need that God, we, we want to do this. Why is God so serious about prayer? Because it's taken our vision and putting our words to it and speaking it into life. Amen. And so that's why God's saying, hey, you got to ask me. you got to come to me. you got to speak it into existence because I want your vision to be accomplished. Why? Because God is what? 
for you. He's for us. He wants us to win. Amen. Vision is a mental image of your future. You got to get a vision. Uh, So many of us, the largest gap in the world is between what we know to do and what we actually do. Uh, So many of us could sit down as a couple or as a business owner or somebody, we could sit down and we could say, what's the vision? You could say, well, I kind of want to get to this. What's the vision? And and I'm guilty of, I just got back from a pastor's conference this week and uh, this guy put up this 15 step uh, thing, vision, value type thing. And I have three of 15 and I think we're doing a good job. Why? Because vision is insanely important to God, which we'll talk about here in a minute. Vision is a mental image of your future. Vision is a thought that demands a response. Vision locates your potential and places it in your future. Vision brings your destiny into emotional focus. Vision is the ability to see dangerous or destructive situations before they unfold. Vision gives you a reason to push things aside. Especially in young people, if you got a vision for what God wants to do in your life, it's easy to say no to that party, that person, this type thing. You say, why? Because I got a vision of where God's going to bring me. And sometimes we get going in life, we have a couple kids and we got a house and all of a sudden we've, we've kind of arrived to what we've always been talking about. Well, I just got to get married. Oh, I just got to have a couple of kids. Oh, I just got. And so you find yourself at 35, 45 and you just kind of stop and you don't have vision. But God is somebody who's keep going, keep pushing forward because I'm for you and I'm with you. And I want to make your plan succeed as we saw. Amen. I love this thought that I learned this week. God wants to give you provision. God wants to provide for you. For everything that you have, God has the ability to send the provision for you. But do you know that provision is pro-vision? Pro meaning for the vision. God only sends what you have vision for. Can we just go home now, right? I was like closed up my pastor school book. I was like, okay. God only sends provision. It's for the vision. What do you have a vision for? And then to take it one step further, that's why Habakkuk says in 2.2, Habakkuk 2.2, it says, And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that he may run who reads it. So this is how serious God is about you having a vision. It didn't just say, say the vision. It didn't just say, hey, maybe write the, write the vision. It says, write it on a tablet, which is something that doesn't erase it's an it's a, it's a in-cement thing. It's a, it's a serious thing that we put down that we stick to. Why? Because vision is very important to God, and he's for you, and he wants to see you accomplish it. Amen? And then I love this. So that he may run who reads it. What does that mean? When you write the vision, and you make it plain, and you make it clear, and you make it in a permanent manner, then when people come to be a part of it, they can run with confidence. Confident, running is a confidence. Is somebody who's going to get there with passion and energy and zeal. So God wants us to be people with vision, communicating it clearly so that we can run with some efficiency. Amen. God wants to provide for you and he wants you to win and he wants you to be successful. But we have to have a vision. We have to have a goal because God only gives you provision when you have vision. It's for the vision. Amen. So God wants you to win. Ephesians chapter three, verse 20. It says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that work in us. So God is for you, and what are his limitations? What are God's limitations? None. He can do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we can ask or think. If you put limits on your life, you limit the nature of God in your life. 
because God is exceedingly abundantly above all that you can even ask or think. When you go to him with a vision and you're praying and you're seeking him and you're asking him, what type of limits should you put on those prayers? None. Because God is exceedingly abundantly above more than you could ever ask or think. Amen. You with me? So what's the answer to you going and getting a vision? More than you could ask or think. That's what you should write on your tablet. More than you could ask or think. Because God is one who can do it. Anytime you put limit on your life, you limit the nature of God in your life. Why? Because he's exceedingly abundantly above. Don't put limits. Obviously, you have to have plans and models and structures and goals. But to sit here and to hold back because you think God won't give you enough or can't do it or won't do, you're exceeding the nature of God in your life. Amen? I'll close with this. A couple of weeks ago, I shared with some of our lead team this thought. And uh, we've really been going through the book Simplify and some other type books. And we've really been looking at structuring our life. And I know we've done it as a church too. Structuring our life to get the most uh, and the best of what God wants to do in us. We don't want to be distracted. We want to be on pinpoint. We want to be uh, accurate for the kingdom. We don't want to be wasteful and so simplify. So, so every area of our life, every vision, every prayer, everything that we have, our desire is to be God's best. We want to be good stewards. Because like I mentioned earlier, we realize that we're going to stand before God and we're going to say, this is what I did with my life. And my prayer is that we say, God says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into rest. Enter in. Why? Because we steward in a way that God's priorities were our priorities. And so we're always looking at our life. Okay, uh, what are the areas? What are the things? What are the seasons? that are important. And so we, we kind of kicked around in our meeting, Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. It says, so for, so for yourselves, righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. So for yourselves, righteousness, reap steadfast love, Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Obviously, we all want righteous rain upon us. We want God to, to pour out himself on us and bless us in a way. But what's interesting about this is it says, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love. Then it says, break up your fallow ground. So I did a little research on fallow ground. What does that mean? So fallow ground in farmer's terms is it's either a season that was once heavily harvest. Uh, maybe you've ever drove down the road and you've seen like soy is growing, but then there's also corn growing from like the year before. And if a farmer, you know, essentially uses that field too much, uh, it, it, it gets rough. You know, there's too many things that have happened. So they'll put a uh, fallow ground away for a season. They'll put a plot away for a season. They'll say, hey, we're going to leave that there. But this is saying... Go find that fallow ground or fallow ground could be a hard ground, not a good ground. You know, oh, that ground up there, you know, it's basically their way of saying that ground over there, that fallow ground, that's a ground we don't use. It's a part that we haven't given to the harvest. It's a part that we haven't allowed yet to be used. So for us, we're saying, God, we, we you know, we, we believe that you're for us. God, we believe that we should have a vision for our life. We believe that you have great plans for us. God, we believe that you wanna do great things. We believe that you're gonna raise up people in this nation to make a difference. God, we believe that you're gonna raise up young people to speak into their communities. We believe all these great things. How can we do it? 
And in this scripture, he's saying, hey, you remember that fallow ground that you haven't quite given to me yet? Remember you once used it for a season, but you've set it aside? Give me that and I'll show you righteous rain. The hard part for us is fallow ground usually comes, which I've noticed in my life, fallow ground, that type season that we've left over there in that place is usually unused or usually kept there because it's a place that we either have fear or a place that we've been hurt. I'm not going back to that place. We once used it. I'm not going to let myself go there again because that's a fallow ground. We got to let that stay there. But I'm saying to you this morning that if you could be a person who says, God, use me. I know that you're for me. You have great plans for me. You want to do great things. I want every area of my life to be committed to you. If God were to say to you, give me a vision for that fallow ground where you were once hurt, where you were once rejected, where you have great fear. Are you willing to give him the fallow ground? Are you willing to have vision for that place in your life that that you said, ah, that's got to stay over there. That's unproductive. That's hurtful. That's hard. Are Are you willing to say, God, give me a vision for that so I can see your righteous reign? So like this, that he may come and reign righteousness on those seasons of your life. My encouragement to you is it's real easy to get a happy, clappy vision. Oh God, here's the areas of my life that I love. I love my kids, I love my house, I love my job, I love these things. God, I got a vision for these things. But what about the hard things? What about the fallow grounds? What about those plots? Could you actually take those and say to God, what do you wanna do in these? What can you do with this? Give me a vision for this area that I've held back. That's the hard stuff, amen? So today, closing, that's what I want us to consider is let's get a vision. But let's also look at places in our areas where we can say, God, I'm gonna need to trust you wholly because this is fallow ground. This is hard ground. This is hurt ground. This is fearful ground. But I know that if I give it to you, righteous rain will enter my life, amen?